0: Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This
1: is News Talk. You're very welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about last week's programme, looking at the impact of COVID 19, the coronavirus on children and teenagers. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at Newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app and as always you can get in touch with us today by emailing Between the Lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well coming up on today's programme we'll be assessing the impact of the Covid-19 pandemic on the housing sector and the housing market right across the country here. Joining me on the line first of all today to discuss is the CEO of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers Pat Davitt Pat, first of all, my thanks to you for taking the call today. Just before we get into coronavirus and the impact that may or may not have, at the very outset of this year, at the very start of 2020, just how is the housing market looking here in Ireland at the moment?
2: The housing market, I think, for towards the end of last year in 2019, was actually, it was going through a bit of a, of, I suppose, a shortage of confidence. Due to the whole Brexit, which we've nearly all forgotten about Brexit now, but it did cause a lot of uh, trouble in the housing market and uncertainty during the whole of last year. And coming to the end of the year, I think at that particular stage, certainly in December and then showing up in January and February, confidence was back. There was a settlement, I suppose, in sorts of, of Brexit and property prices had started settle down and to move on a little bit and we're a little bit stronger coming into January and then right into February again so that the market was moving on uh, I suppose for most people looking at it, most agents looking at it, quite nicely a lot of interest a lot of sales as well a lot of new properties were moving on and uh, everything looked to be or seemed to be rosy in the garden
1: so that would have been at the the latter end of 2019 and at the early start of, of 2020. Is it too early at this stage, Pat, to assess what impact COVID-19 crisis may have had on the housing sector here?
2: It's certainly, it's certainly too early because there are very little sales and very little comparables. I suppose that the market runs in two different ways. It runs with valuation and then it runs with actual sales. And I know there's a lot of talk about valuation at the moment and the valuation of property and how agents are valuing property. And the only way agents can, and the only way a valuer can value property is on comparables. And the comparables that agents have are the comparables of sales that have taken place to date. You can't go in and value the market, into the market, into the future. You can't do that. And you can't take an arbitrary figure off of valuation because you feel that something is going to happen. That's not the way valuation is done. So that's... It leads you in a situation with valuers that they can only value the market as it is. And then with sales, obviously, when you put properties on the market, then you have to decide on, I suppose, is is the price as strong as it was or is it not as strong as it was? Now, what seems to be from a lot of agents throughout the country at the moment is that properties that they're putting on the market at the moment, any of them that are using and are putting new properties on the market, they're putting properties on the market at the same price as were prior to COVID. Mm that they're not changing the prices at the moment. Obviously, the market will dictate that as Cardinals time moves on as to where we are with it and where we, where you know, what's going to happen. Um, but certainly at the moment, it looks like the property prices as we know them aren't changing or haven't changed at the moment.
1: And is that countrywide, Pat, it's all the same? Yeah,
2: it looks to be countrywide and even stronger throughout the country, I think, than it is probably even in the city. Like, um lot of a lot of properties, I suppose a lot of properties are into when you go to the country, a lot of properties are one off. and um, so that you know the same isn't you know there's not going to be a lot of them, so that if somebody wants to buy a property in a particular area or place, and um, you're not going to get another one. like you know it's it's not this isn't like when we came out of two thousand and seven and we found that we had three hundred thousand properties too many. Mm. This isn't going to happen in this particular situation. We're not going to find as well that. You know banks have been given out one hundred percent mortgages, which isn't going to be the case this time uh, and and for inflated prices of property like you know a lot of the property at the moment, and we haven't even caught up to where they were in two thousand and uh, 2006 and early two thousand and seven, like a lot of properties in the country are still forty percent behind that, so there's still a lot of value there even in the property prices as it is uh, so whether that will change or whether it won't change, i suppose is is anybody's guess. Mm-hmm.
1: But I would imagine that just the, the I mean the ba- basic economics of supply and demand and especially in summer like in Dublin and and the greater Dublin area I mean we've a lot of people looking for too few properties so is it unreasonable to expect that the the price of a house will say as currently as it stands or stood back in January of 2020 that that's going to drop significantly now as a result of this crisis
2: Um, I, I personally do, I personally can't see and I don't believe properties are going to drop a lot I can't see it. I don't see any reason why they will. Um, now I know many people will say, "Of course, you'd say that because you're in the property business," but but that that may well be the case. But at the end of the day, if you look at it, and the reasons why uh, you would think property prices would fall are not they're not there at the moment. Like you know, supply and demand is what it's all about. There were fifty thousand or fifty-two thousand, I think, sales last year recorded on the property price register. There are about ten thousand for the first two months of the year. So there's 40,000 sales, if we were to be the same as last year, we need 40,000 more sales. Like I know people are talking about a lot of people when they go back to work, maybe their jobs aren't going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. You know, as if as if every job that we're talking about isn't going to, isn't, people aren't going to be able to go back to work. Of course, they are going to be able to go back to work. And I know that at the moment we're talking about, and banks really are sort of talking about people who are in the civil service are the ideal people to buy properties, et cetera, because different conditions that they want to put into mortgage approvals and everything. But at the same time, when we get back to, I think, and this uncertainty moves on and the COVID moves on and we get to start getting new listings and, and start putting properties back in the market and selling them again. I'm sure there will be certain areas and certain properties that will be divides on on prices and people will be looking for X and be offered Y and different things like that yeah. will happen.
1: Well, it's funny you say that, Papi, because there's, there's two things that uh, struck me as to why prices might drop. Firstly... I mean, I would have thought that maybe those kind of bidding wars that often take place may not happen. So if a price if a house is four hundred thousand euro, instead of the price um, of that property jumping maybe five thousand up as far as 440 or 450 that the vendor may be more inclined to take you know, a lower first or second bid that comes in from bidders. And also, I would have thought that maybe if a vendor is after taking a pay cut while trying to sell a property and maybe they're in the process or they're currently going through the purchase of a second home or maybe a new build themselves, that again, they might be happier to take, um, you know, whatever they're being offered, they, they may not get into that high level of negotiation.
2: I think, that, I think that's quite true. And I'd say that will definitely happen. Um, but in lots of cases and lots of sales, uh, right up to the moment, like you're looking at multiple bidders on properties, and hence property prices are moving on away and above what actual vendors are looking for them. And that's in some cases where you have these bidding wars. But you don't have a bidding war on every property, and hasn't even at the moment. And there are cases even right up to now that you put a property in the market, maybe at four hundred thousand or six hundred thousand, and you might get six hundred and fifty or sixty four, but you might still only get 550 or 60 for it. Uh, like for the past two years, the rate definitely 18 months property price of the city are after probably coming down in the region of 20%. So that like even looking at the CSO figures for March, we're still a, a good 20% behind where we were in 2006. So the prices aren't huge even at the moment. But not to mention that and not to take from that, like obviously – if there's less confidence, the property market is about confidence. Mm. If there's less confidence, probably prices are not going to be as strong as what they were. But at the same time, we're not looking at them to be as strong as where they were in 2006 or early 2007. Like prices are still reasonable. So anybody looking at it, certainly from where, where I look at it and from where agents look at it, will prices change Vendors will have to be obviously more careful of, of what pricing or where, where pricing they're going to be and how they look for them and how stern they are with prices. But I think other than that, until such time as we get back into the market again and we get seeing what's going to happen, I certainly wouldn't be predicting that property prices are going to fall by any amount. That would be the way I, okay. I, I would look
1: at it. Yeah, what damage or effect does confidence have? I mean, how do you put a monetary value On that, if you're somebody that's looking to sell a property in Dublin, maybe at the moment, Pat, and you were hoping maybe to sell it for about five hundred thousand euro, the fact that we've entered this um this particular crisis at the minute, how do you assess the the level of damage that confidence to the sector might have now on that particular property?
2: Well, some people are delighted with the confidence because some people are looking for a bargain. So if you're looking for a bargain, obviously you the confidence end of things that other people aren't confident to go. And look at the property or bid in the property because they're afraid of uh, you can be afraid of two or three different things. You can be afraid of one that the property values will fall, you can be afraid of two that you're going to lose your job and three that you're going to be lose your property in the event of you buying it. So the confidence will go right through the market from those three from those three types of scenarios. but like I suppose for some people looking at it, if they see a lack of confidence, it's a good good for them because they will get a bargain or look to get a bargain. But like most people looking at it, if there's confidence out there in buyers that they're happy to buy and they're happy to bid on properties, well, then vendors will see that and it's a good time to put the property in the market. Whereas if there's not confidence out there, it's a good time for buyers to buy. And it's a good time for buyers to be looking at the market because uh, other buyers don't have the confidence to go and buy something. So confidence is a big thing regardless of the fact of, like we've seen it right in the Brexit uh, discussions and in the Brexit times. And, you know, it's a big thing. It stops people... Uh, it stops a certain amount of people buying properties. And that extra bidding wars that you're talking about, Like, you know, if there's one person to buy a property, obviously the price is going to be amended and changed and that deal is going to be done. Whereas if there's two people to buy a property, there's a bigger chance of getting to your your, your reserve. If there's three or four people to buy a property, there's a much bigger chance of getting away above the reserve.
1: In terms of valuations for people that might be in the process of drawing down a mortgage, maybe they've, you know, gone sale agreed on a property and they're now waiting for the bank to go to value the property. Will there be any change in terms, Pat, do you think, of those kind of valuations? Or, I mean, are, are banks likely to turn around now and say, well, you know, this house you were looking at, Pat, no longer um, holds that level of market value?
2: Well, um, this, is a, this is a big thing at the moment with valuers, and uh, there's a lot of talk about this at the moment. But basically, uh, IPAV runs the Blue Book Valuation Scheme in Ireland. We've got 460 valuers. And valuers uh, can only value on comparables they have at the moment. A valuer can't go out and devalue a property at the moment because they're looking at the future and thinking that the property value might fall. They're valuing on the market value on today's date. So they can only value on today's date and they can only use comparables that they have. So they can't actually go and change the value of a property. It's not not possible for them to do. But when the valuation goes back to the bank, the bank then can say, like valuers are putting disclaimers on their valuations at the moment and noting to banks that uh, we're in this COVID and there's not as many transactions happening, there's not as many sales, there's not as many purchasers, and that you should revalue this property maybe in six to nine months' time. And most valuers are doing this. But when the valuation goes back to the bank. And the bank can look at the valuation and they can say, well, this value is the same as it was four months ago or three months ago or two months ago. So uh, instead of maybe giving an 80% LTV, maybe we will change the LTV. So it's up to the bank how much of a risk they want to take. Are they happy with their 80% or 70%, whatever they're given at the moment, or do we want to amend that? And I suppose that's where the problems are going to be with mm. uh, the banks, and with the amounts of yeah. money that people are able to draw down. And
1: just on that particular point, Pat, I mean, if somebody gets a house valued today in today's market and climate at X price and the bank turns around in six months time and everything, you know, has been restored and everything's fine again and, you know, uh, un- unemployment levels have, have dropped. What happens if the bank decides that, no, we want to change the value of this property? If the person has drawn down the mortgage and paid the vendor for the for the house, I mean, what can happen in that case?
2: Well, the bank can only have the opportunity of changing the LTV when they're giving out the money. When they have the money given out, they they can't change the LTV at that particular stage. And like, even if, if they've given out 80% of the value of the property, and property prices were to change by 20%. Well, then the bankers still—they still have the value of the property in even though it's only 80% of what they originally thought that they were. But so, like at that particular stage, it's too late for the bank to change their mind. But it, it's when the stage when they want to give out the mortgage that they can change the LTBs and they can say to people, "We're going to not give you uh, the amount of this mortgage that we were going to give you, but we're going to give you this amount." But on loan applications and loan approvals and loans that have been approved. Uh, I, I don't know that the banks can actually do that. I think on new on new properties, yes, they can do it if they're doing new, new uh, uh, loan applications and you're doing new loan approvals. But I'm not sure that they could actually do it in the middle of a mortgage. If you have your part of your mortgage or you have your property contract signed and everything and you come back to get your money and your valuation is the same as it was prior... Uh, to you draw or to to you get an approval, mm. I don't think the banks can change the LTVs at that stage, and it certainly it's not fair for them to change the LTVs at that okay. stage.
1: Just finally, pass advice for I suppose both the seller and the buyer at the minute.
2: I think that uh, I think for 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 sellers, I think that they have to be very careful of the pricing that they put on properties and make sure that you know that the vendors are you're not looking for the highest highest of prices for properties. I think you have to be careful of what you're looking for, and I think it uh, purchasers on the other hand I think that they should look at the market and see what is available and um, if they're able to negotiate a price with a vendor well then fine um, if, if they're not well then they have to decide obviously whether it's good for them at the moment or not whether they can get the loan for it to make sure that they have the loan to buy the property if they need a loan like after the after the last fall in 2007 Andrea a lot of people uh, were buying properties with their own money. There was many, many properties bought and still being bought with no mortgages of any description. And even right up to sales uh, in the past, maybe six, nine months, maybe 50 to 60% of sales that were done in the country were done with people's own money, not using mortgages at all. Now it's down to maybe 25 to 30%. So that you know, if people are buying and buying properties with mortgages, they need to make sure that they actually have the mortgage and that they have the correct correct amount of mortgage for the property, yeah. so they're able to complete the sale.
1: Okay, I'm CEO of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. Pat Dabbitt, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines show. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment.
0: Between the Lines. On News Talk.
1: You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. On this week's show, we're discussing the impact of COVID-19, the coronavirus on the housing and lending market here in this country. Now, joining me on the line is Carl Dieter from Yes.ie. Carl, just first of all, what impact will COVID-19 likely have on maybe, first of all, the housing market here in this country?
0: Well, the truth is nobody knows for sure because this crisis unlike the financial crisis which was unfolding over a course of months and years has happened in a number of weeks so all you can do is give your your best shot at what you think might happen now what we do know is that when you have large uh, systemic shocks that asset prices of all sorts of things stock markets houses you know fine art they all take a hit so you would expect to see uh, prices correct downwards when that happens but the the key question is then you know prior to this happening we had a housing shortage for many years and 10,000 homeless people so it's not as if the need for housing has gone away so when you think about that you know that that housing demand might fall yet we know we have a housing demand what I suspect is going to happen is that prices will will fall in the short time but then start ticking upwards again because uh, new house supply has actually come to the lowest level that it's been uh, since 2013. Obviously, construction sites are shut. Uh, developers themselves also get worried, so they're not going to be completing homes as, as as quick as they can the way they were in the past. And these all lead back into a situation of, of recreating that undersupply dynamic that we've been struggling with uh, we were actually getting ahead of it when um, when the pandemic hit. So, you know, you, you'll see corrections. It's gonna it's gonna mess up a lot of people. But that said, I think prices will will start to to come back then uh, later in the year.
1: So we're saying that we we do expect there to be some price reduction in in properties across the country. Is that just in new builds, Carl, or in all in all houses? I'd say it's it's the market general, because. What happens when
0: you when you have something like this? Obviously, like the unemployment figures at the moment, they're not real. You know, it, it like a lot of people who aren't working, they're not what you would traditionally call unemployed. But the the, the return to work piece um, is the bit that's going to be tricky because there will be jobs that won't be taking people back. So you'll see the spike in unemployment. You'll see a, a reduction in consumer sentiment. But the, uh, the economy we had, you know, it's not like we had a mad imbalanced economy the way we did during the Great Recession where we had a credit bubble, way too many houses, all these things going wrong, and, 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 and huge overspending in public expenditure versus our tax take. That's not the way it is this time. So the ingredients are there for a good economy. But convincing people that they are is going to take a bit of work. And there's going to be certain sectors that will struggle to come back, pubs, um, any social venues, sporting events, things that that you know employ thousands of people, and because of that, you'll have kind of reduced income in the economy. People might still be quite worried; they might be kind of hoarding what money they do have. So we need to to, to loosen things up again, so people feel feel confident to to go back to living their lives in a normal way, and that takes a bit of time. And again, I think that the housing market will rep- replicate that. That as the economy starts to to recover as will the housing market.
1: So what would your advice be, Carl, to people that are maybe in the process, maybe they've just been mortgage approved, they've got their loan approval, maybe they have their their sites on a property, maybe even with bids in, gone sale agreed, that kind of thing. What's your advice to people in that situation at the minute? Well, you have to understand
0: a couple of things. Uh, If you've made an offer on a property, you know, gone sale agreed and signed a contract, you're locked in now. There's nothing you can do. If you haven't, just bear in mind what you're, what your uh, negotiation strategy is, because some people are saying, "Look, you know, if prices fall a little bit, that's still the house that I want to live in for the rest of my life." And when you look at a mortgage over, you know, 30 years, paying ten thousand difference in it, you know, it's working out roughly 40 euro a month. If the person says, "Well, if you lower the, if you lower your offer, I'm not selling to you. I'll simply hold off." You know, you might miss out on a place that really was the, the house that you want. Equally said, though, it might make sense to turn around and say, "Look," You know, things have changed. Um, I'm lowering my offer, and uh, that's that's called gazundering. There's gazumping, where someone else comes in and knocks out your bid with a higher bid, and gazundering is where you lower your offer. And that was a word that I haven't heard since, golly, mm-hmm. probably <laughs> nine years anyway. When when the market was still falling, it's it's not unreasonable to expect some of this kind of thing to be happening. That said, it's also incumbent on sellers. To, to realize the trees don't grow to the sky property prices don't just go up and go up and never go down so they've got to, to be willing to accept that part of the reality now strangely enough when you look at it over the whole country you'll see the CSO or other people say prices rise prices fall. that's all based on these individual little pitched battles of bids rejections and stuff that's going on on a house by house basis so you might find some people will do really well out of it. Some sellers might get the price they wanted. Some sellers might, you know, lose way more than they thought they would. Some buyers might end up paying more than they thought they would. And some might go out and say, yeah, I snagged the best deal I could have hoped for. But it's not the best deal for everyone. And that's why it's it's very always, it's always a, a kind of an individualized thing.
1: And, I mean, is it a case, Carl, that I suppose should the vendor, should those that are maybe in the process of selling the property should they nearly expect that this is likely to happen that the, the that the potential buyer or bidder is, is going to be asking for a reduction during this time.
0: Well, I would I would just say that in the course of human events a mature take on any situation requires that you look at it and and understand what the expectations and risks might be. And in a situation like this You know, if if someone came back and lowered their offer, would that be out of the blue? I would hope people aren't so naive as to think that that's not going to happen. It might be very frustrating. You might have a seller who can hold off and says, well, you know what, then I won't sell. You know, half the houses in this country have no mortgage. So it's not like the person is struggling, even if the house was empty Mm. uh, in, in many cases. Or it might be a probate sale where there's no one living there or, you know, the person might just say, well, I'll just keep living here because the place I was going to get, they're not going to lower their price and I needed that money so I could get my mortgage and I'm stuck in a chain so the whole thing is off. You might get other people who are like, I really need to, to close this deal, you know, one way or another. I just have to accept it. There you go. It, it's, it's such a, a chaotic thing. Like when we talk about property, we talk about it as if it's this one, like, you know, glossy object yeah. that you can point your finger at. It is in fact a world of utter chaos where every single transaction is a different set of events with different things happening, different parties involved. So it just really depends on, on the, on the transaction. But, uh, but buyers in general, I think should, should understand that there's probably going to be value out there that you weren't expecting. There's going to be people who were kicked out of the market cause prices got too high and they're back in now, you know? So there's also some good news. Like we, we constantly talk about property being unaffordable and how people can't afford a home. There's going to be a lot of people, if prices do come down a bit, that will be able to afford a home. And to me, that's a good thing. You know, very high house prices actually wreck an economy. People don't ever seem to remember this. High house prices, we celebrate them, but we don't celebrate, you know, high gas prices. We don't celebrate, mm. you know, massive electricity prices. So when you have something that you need in order to, to, to live, high prices aren't always a good thing. and uh, And certainly you know, trying to get back to some, some rational value and, and rational expectations, I don't think it'll do anyone a tap or harm.
1: Just o- overall in, in looking at the market at the moment, Carl, I mean, have we any indication as to when things might return to, to normal?
0: Well, a lot of a lot of deals have been put on ice. Again, that's just normal. Like a property deal at any stage, you've got your buyer, you've got your seller, you've got valuers, you might have engineers or, you know, surveyors. You've got solicitors dealing for the buyer solicitors dealing with the bank solicitors dealing with the seller you've got you know the lenders as well so you've got all these different parties that are all interacting and at the moment you know two or three out of the, the vital six or seven might not be working normal hours so everything is just it's 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 delayed it's a mess what we do know is the prices are still rising prices rose in the year to february which is the most recent uh cso data that came out earlier last week and what it's I would sort of pre, is, really,
1: the restrictive measures being announced, though.
0: Exactly. But what you're going to see is that there's so many people locked into deals that even March and April might show, because it's only based on transactions that close, March and April might show that uh, that the prices you know, stay the same. We're actually not going to see the price effect until May, June, July, because that's when any new deals coming through uh, will start to show up in, in the price history, if that makes sense. So there's going to be a delayed effect on that even though the, the, the effect is real and it's here now, but the statistical knowledge of that will be delayed by several months because of how it works. And then after that, I think, yeah, like if, if for some reason there's some new innovation that, that allows better treatment of COVID-19 or something like that, you know, a lot of our fears and concerns might evaporate pretty quickly. Short of that though, you are going to have that that reduced confidence issue. You know, even viewing a house yeah. becomes logistically more difficult. Uh, I mean, there is when, virtual
1: viewings, but I mean, I I wonder how many people are going to buy a house on the basis of a virtual viewing.
0: Yeah, I have to commend the estate agents. You know, they're they're absolutely adapting with technology in the best way that they can. They're doing. You know, everyone's making new adaptations. It's it's a time of of amazing innovation right now. And that that bit of the the story and business is being lost. Like there's some really wonderful new ways of doing things that people are finding. And that's to be commended. It's going to make the world a far better place after this. But the virtual viewings is a way to basically give people a taster. I still think most people will not buy a house unless they have physically walked the place.
1: One of the points that strikes me about all this is maybe that confidence people have. or I mean, I know from talking to friends, there is sort of this expectation that they think something's going to happen. Maybe they are concerned about their own job. People are telling them that, you know, if they buy a house now, they might end up in negative equity if prices are to drop down the line. What sort of damage does that uncertainty do to the market overall?
0: It damages everything. That's the whole sentiment issue I was talking about. And it feeds into that, again, this idea of the emotional calculus of what decisions are you going to make? Will you go on a holiday if you're worried, you know, would people go on a holiday tomorrow to Spain, one of the most popular places to go on holidays? I don't know. If I had thoughts of buying, say, a new car, that might be put on ice. If I was looking at a house, I'd probably be quite concerned. I'd be trying to find, you know, is there better value out there? Would that, would that seller, you know, accept a slightly lesser offer to give me the comfort of the decision I'm about to make? They, they would all be concerns that I would have. You might have people who are fed up paying too much rent and they really want to buy a house, but they're saying, you know what, I'll just stay renting for now until I see what how this all plays out. You might have people who, like I said, are renting and they're like, we are out of here. But instead of buying an apartment somewhere, they might be saying, you know what, haven't been through this, we really now want a house with a backyard. Or if we're buying an apartment, it has to be next to a public park. So you get all these little expectations. They might want a house with a a spare room because one of them might be working from home permanently now or they might want a house where if there's an attic that they could potentially put like you know a little office up there because one of them might be working from home or they might move to Leitrim instead of Leak Slip there's a lot of complexity in this and it's individuals all playing out their own life looking for what's best for them and where that ends you can't say but we've definitely put a big dent in the confidence of people and that usually has a negative effect on the economy in general
1: Lots to consider there, Carl Dieter. We'll leave it there for the moment. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today.
0: Between the lines on News
1: You're welcome back to the final part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. On this week's show, we're looking at the impact of COVID-19 and the pandemic on the property and housing market. Now, joining me on the line to discuss, my next guest today is the CEO of Property District, Carl Tallon. Just first of all, Carl, will you outline for listeners what it is that you do at Property District? Okay, well, Property District is essentially a communications agency for the planning, construction
3: and property industry. Um, So there's a couple of different components to that, but I suppose critically, during the COVID-19 unfolding um, situation, a lot of our work deals with crisis communications, and that's obviously very important at the moment. Um, So really what we're doing for clients at the moment is making sure that uh, on the planning, construction and build and, and design side that projects are still in the early stages, keeping going, letting clients know about what the program delays are going to be on site, how they're going to be managed, right through to, um, in terms of sales and promotion of new properties, how that's going to be communicated, when is the best time to bring that to the market, and how, because there's going to be some substantial changes that will need to take place over the next two months.
1: So in terms of the kind of feedback that you're hearing from some of the um, the various different organisations and clients that you'll be speaking to at the moment, Carl, what is that feedback?
3: Um, well, it, it definitely varies widely. So um, some of our clients would actually be involved in delivering essential construction services at the moment, particularly in the off-site construction sector. Um, so they're actually involved in delivering uh, extensions to hotel or to hospitals. So they're actually providing extra hospital bed capacity in regional hospitals um, right through to delivering critical social housing. And obviously this week there was a substantial change on that, that we know critical uh, social housing sites are actually being reopened, which is very welcome. You know, particularly the, the housing agency has taken a really strong line on selecting sites that are in areas of high and and really critical housing demand, but also ones that are quite close to completion so they can really impact the market. Um, So from that point of view, what we're seeing is there's definitely a return to essential, but what essential means has changed over the last week.
1: And is that likely to change? We'll presume it will in terms of when further restrictions are lifted down the line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look,
3: I I, I think certainly what the construction industry is preparing for um, is a very gradual or phased return. And in fact, the Construction Industry Federation has done a phenomenal job um, over the last number of weeks, not just in in, um, keeping the industry uh, informed and actually keeping them trained. They've actually rolled out a 32 point guidance document that essentially makes existing health and safety, which is already robust for this industry, it makes it, um it's actually broken down the guidelines into a set of really clear protocols that site managers and site owners need to adopt in order to successfully work on site. And quite frankly, you know, public health is definitely at the foremost of this, uh, despite a lot of commentary to the contrary over the last number of weeks. So I would say that the message in terms of construction is very much Uh, We need to adopt to a safe way of doing things and these new protocols must uh, align with existing health and safety initiatives, but that they're likely to continue for the duration of this pandemic. And I suppose the crux of it is if work cannot be safely carried out, then it ought not to be carried out at this time.
1: How difficult will it be to introduce the likes of those sort of social distancing restrictions and measures on the much more larger construction sites that are um, you know currently or well they're not currently operating that would have been operating say prior to all of this Well you know it, it's interesting for
3: traditional construction sites uh, there there's definitely going to be difficulties for those larger sites you know it's not just about the working on site it's actually travelling to site it's actually getting access onto the site you know some sites are still using, you know, thumbprint scanners and things like that. Now, obviously, that won't be allowed um, as sites reopen under the new guidelines. But there are a number of challenges that go beyond just working on site. And obviously, then there's logistical issues in terms of um, our choice of design materials. You know, they were made on existing sites. The choice of materials, you know, were made 12, 24 months ago. Um, and these materials simply might not be suitable for uh social distancing on site so for example they just don't allow uh, a single worker to work um and and deal with these materials without being in close proximity under two meters from a co-worker so that's one of the big issues but I think it's really important to point out that off-site construction is a growing part of the construction industry here in Ireland and in fact that sector doesn't require much adaptation because the materials and um, units are not just in terms of panels, but um, the materials that are needed can be uh, can be specified to respect social distancing guidelines. But the most important thing is that they don't require much adaption. So, for example, a team of four can assemble uh, an off-site construction, a, pre- uh, a prefabricated uh, structure on-site. So if you can have four people on-site as opposed to 24, well, then we can see that actually... Some of these social distancing problems um, aren't as much of a problem in the off-site construction sector. So what I'm expecting to see is that there will be more of a focus from the traditional onto off-site and other modern methods of construction. But the really important thing there is that, you know, this is only speeding up a trend that was already in play in the Irish marketplace.
1: One of the questions that people will be wondering, Carl, The fact that, for instance, you know, if you're currently in the process of buying or hoping to purchase a new build, it's currently being developed and obviously now construction workers are off-site due to the current restrictions. What sort of effect does this sort of a delay have in terms of the pricing of a property or does it affect it at all?
3: Um, Well, we we have absolutely no idea and that's the reality. You know, I I think... We, we, what we're experiencing at the moment, it is entirely unprecedented. We don't know the full extent of the economic um, impact, but there's another element which is a psychological um, element, and how that's going to impact, how it's going to change culture and behaviour, and more importantly, whether the cultural and behavioural impacts are going to be short-term or long-term. So, in terms of of people who've gotten their mortgages, you know, they're genuinely in difficulty at the moment. Um, and in fact, this is something that we've actually seen ourselves over the past week. You know, people who were were actually due to draw down mortgage funds um, during this time, their mortgage lenders... And by the way, I, I'm including here uh, the Rebuilding Ireland Home mm-hmm. Loan Scheme as well. Um, in our experience, we're seeing that lenders are requesting a letter to see what they what the employment position is and where somebody's employment position has changed, even if it's temporarily, because we don't know how temporarily it's going to be. This is having an impact and we actually don't know how that is going to play out. We don't know from a contract point of view how that's going to be resolved. So obviously we don't want to have a position where people have signed contracts, you know, maybe signed contracts in February or early March and now they're they uh, a week before they're due to draw down their mortgage funding you know that that there's uncertainty there and that there's even the possibility that their contract deposit is going to be at risk you know obviously we need to provide for this so i think the irish government have been very um they've been very responsive and they've taken a, a really decisive approach which we needed but there's still a lot of uncertainty for people you know who fall the minority of people but who fall into this category of they'd already signed the contract um they were due to draw down now what happens and it's a difficult situation because obviously the expectation is is there that their job will resume but depending on what industry Mm. they are in you know that could be three months it could be six months it could be 12 months or it might not happen um, in in the foreseeable future and that's really difficult because do you allow those people um, to go back into rental where their rental is likely to cost more than the mortgage or there's an argument to say that it would be irresponsible to allow the mortgage to go forward without the repayment capacity being there. So there's still uncertainty despite the size of action being taken by the government. You know, there are still people who don't neatly fall into those boxes. And um, we're actually still troubleshooting on that. We still don't know how that's going to pan out. Okay. And is there any
1: timeline over, you know, in terms of how long it might take to, to gauge that?
3: Oh, absolutely not. No, because, okay. I, I, you know, I, I think globally we have no experience of how this is going to, to play out. You know, at the moment, we're only starting to see other economies um, start to to have this phased recovery and phased return. But actually, we don't know what that's going to bring up in terms of um, you know, whether it's a, a reoccurrence of the pandemic in those areas where they thought they had it under control. We genuinely don't know. And that for that reason, we, how long the shutdown or restrictions continue entirely impacts on what the eventual impact on property prices and delivery of new homes to the market is going to be. But I think, you know, from from our point of view, we can see that there's demand in the, the marketplace. You know, we can see that homelessness is still, uh, you know, in and around the 10,000. And we know that that's not going to be solved by uh, you know by these shutdowns in mm-hmm. fact if anything it's going to become more pronounced so the demand is still there um there's going to be capacity issues as to how we meet that you know the biggest issues are going to be affordability and You know, in one way, there's an opportunity now for us to crack the affordability issue in terms of housing in Ireland. And that's something that for all of our other uh, solutions that have gone forward and all the progress that has been made over the past two to three years. You know, we haven't cracked the affordability note. And maybe this is the opportunity. This is the time to do that.
1: And one of the points that we've been talking about earlier on in the programme today as well, Carl, is the fact that it's the confidence and the the impact to confidence and what that does to the property market as well?
3: Yeah, um, now this is going to sound quite unpalatable, but the reality is, you know, there are winners and losers. Um, We saw that during the the crash and certainly people who are are in a position of liquidity now, you know, there's definitely going to be the opportunity for people to benefit from this. You know, confidence tends to be... um, It tends to be a shorter term than than people realize. And in fact, you know, one of the things we see is that people, you know, once people see a return to some form of normality, then they will, in fact, probably now more than ever want to secure their living situation, particularly if they're in rented accommodation, they won't want to be as vulnerable. Again, you know that they'll want to be in their own home. So yes, there's likely to be an impact, but that impact is likely to be short term. I don't believe it's even going to be medium uh, medium term. And you know, like we, uh, any cor- any sort of fear or uncertainty will always stall the market. You know, that's mm-hmm. just a reality outside of the property market. Uh, you know, in in every market, but um, that kind of volatility is generally quite short term. But the term depends on how long. The restrictions last and how long the pandemic remains um, a a threat to public health.
1: How do you see prices, or do you see prices being affected, so so, Carl, over the next, for instance, month or two, like if people are currently in that purchasing process?
3: Um, Well, I I, I think we know that there are some sales happening, some transactions happening, and and that's fair enough, but frankly there those sales that had sale agreed, that already had their, you know, maybe the bank surveys done, you know, they're going to run out quite quickly. Um, in terms of the second hand market, there's very little activity. Yes, there are isolated cases of people buying remotely but, you know, they, the reality is we have the technology in place but cultural shift hasn't been made to people buying entirely online um, and I know Ronan Lyons earlier, uh, earlier in the month, he deducted that Second-hand sales market were likely to dry up over the coming weeks, and we're we're at that stage now, and we're starting to see it. So there's very little, if any, new property coming to the market. Um, so I think that there's there's online and remote viewing activity happening. There's inquiries happening. There's research happening. Um, uh, but the only transactions that are happening are ones that were in process mm. prior to the shutdown. And uh, while there will be some some isolated examples I think the culture shift hasn't been made for a flow of transactions to happen remotely at this time Yeah,
1: So, so you're saying that what's likely to continue is perhaps maybe a one-off or a new bill development but the second-hand purchase is likely to stall at the moment
3: About a month or six weeks ago um, we found out that solicitors conveyance solicitors were actually telling buyers who hadn't yet signed contracts you know maybe who'd paid their booking deposit but mm. hadn't yet signed contracts um, to hold off and you know, I, I don't think we can criticise that uh, that advice because yes, those transactions could, in theory, have proceeded. But um, given the market uncertainty, it's probably wise that they don't. Um, but again, this depends on the individual circumstances. But the general advice that has been given by conveyancing solicitors to um, home buyers during this time is to hold back if and why, they haven't already signed contracts.
1: Why is why is that, Carl? I mean if somebody has a deposit paid but they haven't got as far as signing the actual contract yet, maybe they're in the process of getting evaluation carried out or reserve a survey. Is it that there's an expectation the price might fall or is it to see yes. if Yeah, it, there is. Yeah, no, no.
3: It's definitely that there is an expectation that in the short term um, but it, it will be very short term that the that the prices drop and by the way that's not that's not guaranteed that that will happen because we can see that uh, because of construction sites being shut down because of development activity being shut down because of a state agency activity being shut down that actually there's going to be um, a, a much reduced Uh, There's going to be a much reduced flow of new properties and second-hand properties to the market. So the impact on pricing mightn't be as severe as people are predicting. But the reality is we don't know. And in those circumstances, it's wise to wait until we see how the market is going to react. Um, But I I think that um, there is likely to be price drops. And I know I've heard you know, commentary to contradict that. But in my opinion, I, I think it's likely there will be price drops, and but I think that they're likely to be short term. And
1: wh- what is a price drop? Is it 5% of what the um, accepted bid is, or is it back to the asking price? What would you, what do you regard as a price drop?
3: Oh, I would regard it as a price drop of anything kind of above 5 to 8%. And in fact, what we're seeing at the moment, um, stats for 2020 show that Dublin properties tend to make between 5 and 8% in excess of their asking price. And it, the reverse is true for regional properties. They tend to make at least 5 to 8% below their asking price. So I, I think that anything outside of those factors would be considered a price drop. So are
1: we saying, Carl, for anyone that's in the process of maybe buying a second-hand home at the moment that has paid the deposit, they haven't signed their contract, they should be asking for anywhere in the region of 5 to 8% of a price drop?
3: It's it genuine. I, I I, really don't like giving out uh, stock answers like that because it absolutely I know, depends on I know. the individual circumstances because actually there's going to be some people who would be much better off to go ahead and, and close their deals now because actually if their mortgage is lined up and yeah. still available to them, that might change in three or six months' time also. um. We, we've got a situation where, if people are going to be paying rent during that period, that's likely to be more than the mortgage, because we're seeing that as a national trend now, which is outrageous. And that's why I think that this is the opportunity for uh, a price correction that actually addresses um, that addresses affordability issues. But I, I'm not I'm not confident that that will happen purely because. Um, all of real estate, all of the property industry is dependent on buying, selling or leasing or Mm. transacting a property that has been delivered to the market. But in terms of delivering new stock to the market, that's where it comes down to the planning and construction. And while the planning process in Ireland has been kept functioning to a point, it cannot proceed with uh, public consultation elements. So there's there's a natural, there's naturally going to be a lag on projects. And despite all of the industry's best effort. In terms of construction, we know that there's been uh, sites shut down for anywhere between now four to six weeks, Mm -hmm. depending on the project. But also, because of implementing new social distancing guidelines on site, which are very necessary, there's going to be a knock-on effect. And one of the figures we've seen in the Irish, uh, through Irish research, is that these impacts um, in terms of delays and loss of productivity on site, the loss of productivity on site can be anywhere um, upwards of 30 percent. that's huge in terms of the outputs that are that we're going to see in the, in the marketplace for 2020. So you know all of these factors, they all are components that make up the full picture.
1: Carl Talon, CEO of the Property District. My thanks to you for joining us here on the programme today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website or on the Go Loud app. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from six and with Between the Lines this time next week. But from me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.